All right, well, we're there in Nehemiah chapter number three, and you're probably thinking, what in the world are we going to talk about today, right? And I want to read that chapter because we are going to talk about this chapter, uh, but I want, you know, these are the type of chapters in Scripture that people usually like to skip, you know, and people will say, oh, I don't read the chapters that, but you know, the Bible says every word of God is pure. And the Bible says that, uh, that we need in every, we, the Bible, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And these chapters have a lot of things in them that you can learn, and you ought not skip them. And you say, you know, um, I don't know how to pronounce the names. Let me cue you in something. No one knows how to pronounce the names, okay? You just go with something, you know what I mean? You just try to get close and, and do it. But, um, you know, these, th- this chapter has a lot of different things in it. There's something I want to focus in on this morning, uh, you know, but just to give you a few things that I'm not really going to preach about, but just want to highlight for you. If you look at verse 5, notice what it says in verse 5. And next unto them the uh, Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their neck to the work of their Lord. Later on in the, in the Nehemiah series, we'll... Uh, preach a little more about the nobles, but here's an interesting uh, situation where basically chapter 3 of Nehemiah, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah and learning principles about rise and build, about building a life that makes a difference, and we've been talking about having a vision, and we've been talking about having a burden, and we've been talking about being used of God, and chapter 3 basically deals with the actual building of the wall, where the people actually got together. In verse 2, they said, you know, let us rise up and build, and then in chapter 3, they get to work, and it's just, you know, an account of these different people that worked on the wall and that built it. But in verse 5 it says, And next unto them the Telkites repaired, but their nobles, notice the nobles were like the, the leaders or maybe, you know, the higher class people, but their nobles put not their neck to the work of their Lord. So there you've got some, some people who say, and we have this in church, some people say, I'm, I'm too good, you know, I, I'm too, let, let someone else do that. And it says that they, they repaired, but their nobles put not their neck to the work of the Lord. But I really like these Tekoites, because notice, look at verse uh, number uh, 27 of the same chapter. They've got these lame nobles that won't help, but these guys don't let it stop them. They want to prove themselves that they're not like their nobles, that they're hard workers. In verse 27, the Bible says, after them, the uh, Tekoites, remember them from verse 5? It says, after them, the Tekoites repaired, notice, another piece. So they got, they finished their job, and then they said, you know what? Just to make up for the fact that we've got some lame nobles, we're going to go ahead and just work on another side and get twice as much work done than most people. I like that about them. You know, and maybe you can say, oh, you know, my, my parents are bad, or my boss is bad, or my, whoever your leadership is bad. But listen to me, that doesn't mean you've got to be bad. It doesn't mean you have to be lazy. It doesn't mean you have to be unproductive. These guys said, our nobles are lame, but we'll get to work. And that's a great uh, little uh, principle there that you can uh, learn from this chapter. But I want to cue in on and focus in on, well, look at verse 1 just real quickly, just to kind of uh, show you the idea of building. Nehemiah chapter 3, look at verse 1. And Eliashib, the high priest... Here's another principle for you. I'm not preaching on this morning, but the high priest, he was the spiritual leader. He was the one that was supposed to lead the nation spiritually. I think it's interesting that verse 1 begins with the high uh, priest, the spiritual leader, rose up with his brethren, the priest. That was his staff there, his pastoral staff, his assistant pastors, associate pastors, deacons, whatever you want to call it. And they builded the sheep gate. Notice another principle there is just because you're a pastor or some sort of spiritual leadership doesn't mean that you shouldn't get out there and do the work just like everyone else. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the Tower of Mia. They sanctified it and the uh, Tower of Hananiel 
Look at verse 2. And next unto him, and here's the focus of this chapter. Next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Now here's what you understand. This chapter is about the actual building of the wall. But there are some cues as to some insight that Nehemiah had in regards to how to build this wall. And I want you to notice, look at verse 10, Nehemiah chapter number 3, and look at verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. And next unto them repaired Judea, the son of Harumah. Now I want you to cue in on this word, and, and may, on, the, on this phrase. And if you don't mind writing in your Bible or underlining, maybe you ought to underline this phrase. Even over against his house. And next unto him repaired Hattush, the son of Hashbaniah. Now look at verse 23, same chapter. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 23. Notice, I want you to notice what the Bible says. So in verse 10 it says that they repaired even over against his house. I want you to notice that. Look at verse 23. After him repaired Benjamin, Nehemiah 3.23, and Hashub. Now notice this, underline it, over against their house. You see that? Over against their house. After him repaired Azariah, the son of Maaseah, the son of Ananiah, underline it, by his house. Do you see that? Clip down to verse number 28, same chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3, look at verse 28. From above the horse gate repaired the priest. Now notice, notice what it says. Everyone over against where? His house. Look at verse 29. After them repaired Sadak, the son of Immer. Notice it. Over against his house. After him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. After him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shalamiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, another piece. After him repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Notice it. Over against his chamber. Do you see that? Nehemiah had this idea. Nehemiah had this understanding. When he organized the people to build the wall, he decided to do this. He said, I'm going to allow the people to build the wall in the area of the city that is closest to where they live. And here's what he was thinking. He was thinking the wall was to be a protection. The wall was to be strong and fortified. It was supposed to keep the bad people out. It was supposed to keep the enemy out. And here's what Nehemiah thought. If I can have you build the wall that is over against by your house, then you're going to take that job seriously. You're going to try to do a good job. You're not going to cut the corners. You're not going to slack off. You're not going to you know, uh, come in late and take long breaks and leave early. You're going to make sure that section of the wall gets built because that section of the wall is there to protect you and your family. Do you understand that? Nehemiah had this understanding, and this is one of the uh, beautiful insights of Nehemiah's leadership. Instead of taking a bunch of people together and saying, well, you go build over here, and you go build over there, and you go do this, and you go do that. He said, hey, find the area closest to where you are. Find the area closest to where you live and build there and fortify there and do something there. Because here's what he knew. You're most concerned with yourself and your family. And it's this principle that's not just found here in Nehemiah chapter 3, but it's found all throughout Scripture. This idea that we ought to start where we are. See, as we've been preaching through this, this series on Nehemiah, I've been asking you questions. We started with this question, what breaks your heart? And some of you, honestly, in your heart, you said, Pastor, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be mean. That was a nice lesson, a nice sermon, and, 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 and I love people. But to be honest with you, I just, I just don't know how, what breaks my heart. 
Then we ask you this question, how can you leverage who you are to help others? And some of you said, I, I want to help people, and I, and I, want, to, I want to use uh, my gifts, but I just don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what my abilities are. I don't know where I'm supposed to start. I don't know how I can leverage who I am to help others. We ask this question, can you get a vision? Can you see what could be? And you say, well, I'm just struggling with that, and I'm not really sure what God would have. But here's what I know about you. You know you. You know where you are. And you know what's important to you. And here's what you got to understand. This principle is this. If you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go, you just start where you are. You just get close to home and you start there. This morning I want to give you three principles that kind of do, have to do with this idea of, you know, what can you do near you? And that's the question for this morning. I'm giving you a question every sermon through this series. Here's the question for this morning. What can you do near you? What can you do close to you? What are you near? Where do you live? I'm not talking about physically where you live. I'm saying in life, where are you? Where can you get busy? Where can you get active? Where can you start building? Where can you start fortifying near you? I want to give you three uh, principles this morning in regards to what can you do near you. Uh, turn with me to the book of First Timothy in the New Testament. We're going to come back to Nehemiah later in the sermon, but go with me to First Timothy in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, you got these T books, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. Find First Timothy chapter number four. First Timothy chapter number four. And for those of you that like to take notes, here's point number one: spiritual growth. Spiritual growth begins at home privately. Spiritual growth begins at home privately. The Bible teaches that you must have a private walk with God. And here's what you got to understand. You must have a private walk before you have a public ministry. See, you got to fortify your home before you can fortify anybody else. you got to build yourself up. Are you there in 1 Timothy chapter 4? Look at verse number 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16. Notice what the Bible says. Take heed unto thyself. Do you see that? The word heed means to pay attention to. To, to take, you know, uh, 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 attention, to, to put, you know, resources into this uh, place here. It says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both, notice, save thyself and them that hear thee. The uh, pattern in Scripture is this. First you help yourself, then you help others. Now you say, well, that, that's kind of, shouldn't we help others first? But here's what you got to understand. You cannot help others if you first don't help yourself. And he says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. He says, so shalt thou both save thyself and them that hear thee. Uh, go to Acts chapter number 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at a lot of different passages this morning just to kind of show you this idea. Acts chapter 20. You find this all throughout Scripture. Acts chapter 20. Look at verse number 28. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 28. And here's the problem that many Christians have is they want to get started in things publicly. We want, we, we, it's easy to do the things that we have to do. You know what I mean? Publicly. You know, what's, you know, what, you know what always gets done on my to-do list every single week without fail? If I have to get up at 4 in the morning, if I have to stay up till 1 in the morning, if I, you know what always gets done? The Sunday morning sermon, the Sunday night sermon, the Wednesday night sermon. You know why? Because on Sunday morning, there's going to be 100 plus people here waiting for me to have something to say. See, that's easy. We make that a priority. You know what we don't make a priority? The things that nobody sees. The things that nobody knows. Because here's the thing. You don't know how much time I spend in the Word this week. You don't know how much time I spent in prayer this week. And I don't know how much time you spent in the Word. I don't know how much time you spent in prayer. But here's what you've got to understand. 
We must develop a private walk. We must deal with the inside. We must deal with that which is close to home, not the outside, what everybody sees, but we must take heed unto thyself. Are you there in Acts chapter 20? Look at verse 28. Notice what the apostle Paul says to preachers. He's talking to the pastors here. Now, when you get to Acts 20, I want you to put your bulletin there or a bookmark or a ribbon, something, because we're going to leave Acts 20, and then we're going to come back to it, all right? So make sure you're able to get back to Acts chapter 20 quickly. But notice what he says, Acts, what he says, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. He's talking to pastors. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. That's the congregation. He says, look, make sure you take care of yourself first and then take care of the church. Here's what he's saying. Make sure you get time in the Word. You personally, preacher. You personally, pastor. Make sure you spend time in prayer before you're worried about the sermon you're going to preach. He says, take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And here's what you got to understand. There is a principle in Scripture. And Nehemiah understood it. He said, before Tekoites, I appreciate you going and building in another place and working somewhere else. But he said, before you go help someone else, go build the wall around your home. He said, go build the, the wall around your family. Go get where you live. Go get where you are. Go get where it's closest to you. And here's what you're going to understand. Spiritual growth begins at home, privately. Go to Matthew chapter... Now, keep something there in Acts chapter 20. But go to Matthew chapter number 13. You say, well, why does it matter? Why must I develop a private walk with God? And here's what you got to understand. If you do not have a private walk with God, you will not last. If you do not have a private walk with God, you will not last. Are you there in Matthew chapter 13? Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 13, look at verse 5. Here's a famous parable that the Lord gave. We won't deal with all the different aspects of the parable, but he's giving a parable of the sower. He's talking about the seed going to different uh, grounds and going to different areas. And notice what he says, Matthew 13 and verse 5. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up. Because they had, now notice this, no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. He says, look, some people, he said, because this is a parable about individuals. He's talking about hearts. Let me give you the, uh, you know, the, the commentary that Christ gave on it. Go down to verse number 20, same chapter. Matthew 13, look at verse 20. You say, well, what is that talking about? The forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth, because they had no root, they withered away. You say, what's the application? Here's the application. Verse 20. Matthew 13, verse 20. But he that receives seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Notice this guy received the word. He was happy about it. Yet, here's the problem. Yet hath he no root in himself, but dureth. That word dureth means how long he lasts. Endureth, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth of the word, uh, of the word, notice, by and by he is offended. I used to have a pastor who called these type of people, he called them uh, Roman candle Christians. And we've had some Roman candle Christians around here. And they, you know, you, you, you know what a Roman candle, you know, we just had Fourth of July, right? Roman candle, those, those fireworks. You light them up and they just, you know, Real impressive for about three seconds. And then it dies. And here's what Jesus is talking about. He says, some people show up and they're like, I'm ready. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get involved. And they're just like. But there's no root. There's no substance. There's no deepness. 
There's no quality time with God. There's no private walk with God. There's no private time in prayer. There's nothing in there. And as soon as they hear something they don't like, as soon as they get a little offended, as soon as they get a little upset, as soon as they get a little tired, as soon as the sun comes up and it's a little uncomfortable, they're like, that's not for me. I'm, I'm out of here. you got to understand this. Spiritual growth begins at home, privately. Spiritual growth begins at home privately. You must have a root. You must get down. You must develop some substance. You must have a grounding or a foundation. Otherwise, you just will not last. You're there in Matthew Matthew 13. Go to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. Let me ask you this question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Because I I would submit to you this. Most of us do what we do to be seen of men. Most of us do what we do to be seen of men. This is why some of you moms spent more time on Facebook this week than you did reading to your kids. So why do you have to bring that up? Because you think everybody sees what you do on Facebook. Nobody sees you reading to your kids. Nobody sees you spending time with your children. Nobody really cares whether you prayed with your kids, whether you read the Bible with your kids, whether you memorized scripture with your kids. Nobody really cares. But everybody cares about what you put on Twitter. Everybody cares about what you put on Facebook. Everybody cares about what you did on YouTube. You, you understand what I'm saying? We have this mentality of we do things because we want to be seen of men. But the question is this. If you do not develop a private walk with God, you will not last. Are you there in Matthew chapter 6? Jesus taught about this. Look at verse 1. One of the biggest things that God hated. And by the way, I'm picking on the moms. Dads, too. You spend too much time on Facebook. <laughs> You spend too much time on whatever you spend time on. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. One of the things that Jesus could not stand about the Pharisees is described in Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms. Now, an alms was like a charitable giving. It's when you gave to someone who was poor or in need. Here's what he said. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, he says, it's good to help people. You ought to help people. He says, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the street. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine walking into Target and there's some guy, yeah, okay, Target's probably a little too nice. Could you imagine walking into Walmart and there's some guy standing there, you know, asking you for money? And you're about to help him out, but you say, well, wait a second. You pull out a trumpet and you're like, everybody pay attention. Everybody pay attention. I'm about to give this guy a dollar. I mean, this is what these guys were doing. I mean, he's like, notice what he says. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. You know, the politicians, when they go visit, you know, they're going to go visit uh, the foster kids, but they got to make sure they call all the reporters and make sure all the media is there. Make sure you get a picture. I'm standing next to this little kid here. Make sure you get a picture of this. Put, the, put it out, you know, in the newspaper. Notice what he says. He says, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Look at verse 3. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. Listen, I'd rather have a reward from God secretly than the praise of men publicly. Look at verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Why, what do you, why do you do what you do? Is it to be seen of men? And, you know, and sometimes I preach this and people will say, well, Pastor Jimenez, 
You do all this public ministry. You get up there three times a week and you, you know, preach. And, and, uh, and your wife, you know, she leads all these events and she's in front of people. And here's what you understand. You, you know, what you see is the, the 30-year-old or uh, close to 30-year-old, not yet 30, you know, the, the 30-year-old Pastor Jimenez. And what you see is the 30-year-old Miss Joanne Jimenez who are publicly, you know, you know uh, leading and helping and doing all these things. But you know what you don't see? You know what you didn't see? You didn't see the 18-year-old, the 19-year-old, the 20-year-old, the 21-year-old, the 22-year-old, the 23-year-old, the 24-year-old version of Roger Jimenez and Joanne Jimenez who were just serving, who were just faithful, who were just soul winning, who were just helping the pastor, who were just not really doing anything in front of anybody. You know, we were just printing maps for soul winning. We were just, you know, putting people together in soul winning groups and heading up the soul winning ministry. And I don't know that anybody even knew we did that. We were just out soul winning. We were just out helping in the children's ministry. We were just serving and being good followers. And eventually, if you have a private ministry, you have, but here's the thing. When we were 20 and 21 and 22, we weren't ready for public ministry. But here's what I think is funny. When you were 21 and you were just getting drunk and you were just living for yourself and you were just living a selfish life, and then one day you said, I want to be spiritual now, and you want to step in and try to lead? You must have a private walk before you have a public walk. Because you won't last. Because you will get offended. Because it will get hot. It will get uncomfortable. You know why we're not going anywhere? My wife and I, we're not going anywhere. Know why? Because we've been doing this for a long time. And we did it for a long time before anybody was there to give us a high five or give us a pat on the back. And guess what? We don't need the high five now. And you've got to understand this. Spiritual growth begins at home, privately. Because you will not last. So why do, why do you do what you do to be seen of men? I, I think it's interesting. It's of God. You know that the quotes in the bulletin, I don't pick them. You can blame Miss J.C. Barlow. She's the one that picked this quote. I thought it was interesting. She didn't know what I was preaching. She wrote this. She put this quote in the bulletin. What you do for God in public should be a reflection of how you commune with God in private. Isn't that amazing? You know, the Holy Spirit must have been involved in that one. What you do for God in public should be a reflection of how you commune with God in private. Number one, spiritual growth begins at home, privately. Number two, soul winning outreach begins at home, personally. Soul winning outreach begins at home, personally. Go to John chapter number one. John chapter number 1. Look at verse number 40. John chapter number 1 and verse 40. Not only does spiritual growth begin at home privately, but soul winning outreach begins at home personally. We must focus on reaching our friends and our family. We must focus on reaching those who are close to us. In John chapter 1 and verse 40, the Bible says this, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, and he first findeth his own brother Simon. I like that. Andrew got saved, and instead of, just, you know, I'm going to go reach a bunch of unbelievers that I don't know, and that's great. We ought to reach a bunch of unbelievers. We don't know. But he said, you know what I'm going to do first? I'm going to go find my own brother Simon. And he first finds his own brother Simon and say that to him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas. This is my interpretation of stone. Verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael. Philip goes and finds his friend, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
In the Bible, you have this principle that we ought to reach our loved ones first. Listen, you've got friends and you've got family members. You've got people that you're close to. Are you reaching them? Are you giving them the gospel? Are you at the very least inviting them to church where someone might be able to give them the gospel? See, soul winning outreach begins at home personally. Go to Acts chapter number one. Acts chapter number one. Are you helping us reach our Jerusalem? People get so excited about missions, and we're excited about missions. We have our missionary to the Philippines. We're supporting him. People get excited. We got to send missionaries to the Philippines. We got to send missionaries to that continent and that area and that region of the world. But listen, the Bible teaches the same principle in Acts 1 that you find in the book of Nehemiah. You start at home. You start close to where you live. Notice what the Bible says. Acts, 1, Acts chapter 1, look at verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Notice, both in Jerusalem, that's where they lived, and in Judea, that would be like their state, and in Samaria, that would be like the surrounding area, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Notice, you start at home and you work your way out. You start where you live and you work your way out. You go soul winning with your kids, with your family, with your loved ones, with the people you know. First, you reach the people you know. Then you reach your community. Then you reach your city. Then you reach your state. Then you reach neighboring cities. Hey, unto the uttermost part of the earth. But we start at home. Nehemiah, where do you want me to start building? Build at home. Where do you want me to start? Just do it closer to where you're at. Because spiritual growth begins at home, privately, number one. Because soul winning outreach begins at home personally, number two. Let me give you number three. Go with me to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Number three, serving ministry begins at home productively. Your serving ministry begins at home productively. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about effectively, efficiently. Let me explain. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But let's look at it. We saw it in 1 Corinthians 12, two weeks ago. Let's look at it in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6. Notice what the Bible says. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. You know that every single one of us has a gift. Do you have a gift? God has given If you are saved, the Holy Spirit, by His grace, has given you a differing gift. Every one of us has a gift that God has given us. A talent, an ability, a resource. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, that's referring to preaching, maybe you have a talent, you have an app for teaching, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, some people just have a knack for serving. They have a servant's heart. Now, we all ought to serve, but these people just comes natural to them. He says, or ministry, let us uh, on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. Maybe you have the ability to communicate truth. You have the ability to be able to help people understand things. You don't make it complicated. He says, if you teach, you ought to teach, or the that exhorteth on exhortation. Maybe it comes naturally to you to be able to encourage people, lift people up, to exhort them, to help them. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. You know that some people have the gift of giving. Now, we all to give. We all ought to financially be invested, but some people just, they, it's like a gift. They just enjoy giving. He says, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, is talking about administration, talking about management. You're able to organize. You're able to get things together. You're able to do things. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Here's what he's saying. God gave you a gift, an ability, something that you're able to do, and our serving ought to begin at home productively. Listen, you ought to work within your strengths. And in church, you ought to use what God has given you to help minister in church. 
Let me give you an illustration. I asked Brother Carlton if I could use him as an illustration this morning. Brother Carlton has literally, the Bible says that, you know, God, and I'm not trying to lift Brother Carlton up. But literally, the Bible says that God brings you people. Brother Carlton was an answer to prayer. Because I don't, if you've been, if for those of you that have been with us longer than, you know, than Brother Carlton, than Brother Carlton's been here, uh, you know that our, our sound system was a mess. I mean, our, our speakers were going in and out. They were, you know, if you listen to those old videos or you listen to those old preaching tapes, I mean, it was, people were like, I can't listen to this preaching. This is terrible audio. It was a mess. Brother Carlton showed up, and Brother Carlton just has this talent of just understanding technology. He just came in here, and he just said, Pastor, can I help? And I said, absolutely, you can help. And he, he just took over that audio-video ministry. I mean, we've got a sound booth now that, I mean, it's, everything's just, you know, and we have hiccups from time to time, but he just takes care of it. He just does it. He's just working within his strength. He's not up here trying to preach. He's not even, you know, usher or whatever. He's just, he has a skill. He has a talent. He's doing what he's doing. He realizes this is something I have to offer, and he's using it. And see, our serving ministry ought to begin at home. Where do you live? What are you good at? What do you like? What do you have a gift? Begin at home and use that in a productive way. Let me give you another example. Miss J.C. Barlow and I just uh, met last week. She came to me and she said, Pastor, I want to just give you an idea and you know, see what you think. And she basically asked, would you be comfortable with us maybe setting up some sort of a, a group for ladies, you know, who are, uh, you know, have their children outside, you know, the children are grown and have left the home or are, are widowed, you know, ladies that are maybe of that age group, would you mind if we got together and maybe had a meal once a week or once every other week or whatever, once a month, and just fellowship together? And, you know, I said, that, that's, and, you know, I was thinking, that's great. Within her sphere of influence, within her, you know, where she's at in life, where she lives, she's looking for a place to be able to minister and help. And I do think in the next several months or so, we'll be able to organize something and set something up to be able to have ladies that are in that age group. But do you understand what I'm saying? You need, because see, here's the thing. When I preach these sermons and you say, Pastor Matt, I don't know what breaks my heart. I don't know what, how can I leverage who I am to help others. I just, I, I can't get a vision for what I should do. But here's what you do know. You know where you are. You know what you think and how you feel. And you know the skills and the place that God has placed you. And the best thing you could do is just right where you're at, start building. So I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I said to her, I said, well, you know, I, I want to make sure we don't involve uh, a certain group of ladies. And I, I didn't say a name. I just said, you know, ladies in this point, push, point of their lives, you know, we, we don't, I don't want to involve them. We've got enough things going on with them. And she says to me, Pastor, those ladies aren't 60 years old. <laughs> and here's what she's saying. She wants to minister within her group. Do you understand that? Start where you're at. You single guys, you got to get together in fellowship. You, know, you say, well, I don't, you know, we, we don't need the, the, the widowed ladies trying to minister to the single guys in their 20s. Do you understand what I'm saying? You got to just focus where you're at. You ought to just minister where you're at. Go, to, go back to Acts chapter 20. Let me give you something else. And I thought, well, I'm going to use Miss Tracy as an example, so I might as well get everything I can out of this example. Let me give you this. Let me tell you this. She did it exactly the right way. You know what she did? She came to her, her pastor, and she said, Pastor, do you feel comfortable with this? Do I have your permission to do this? And she's allowing me to kind of oversee it, and literally to the point where she's not going to invite someone without running it by me first. Say, so you're kind of a controlling person. Look, the Bible says, are you there in Acts chapter 20? Look at verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you. I want you to key in on this word, overseers. Do you see that? 
Now, the word overseer, that Greek word, is also translated bishop, which is used interchangeably as a pastor. You know what a pastor is supposed to do? He's supposed to oversee. Now, we're not supposed to lord over God's heritage. And listen to me, I don't want to be involved in your personal life. Do not call me and ask me permission of what kind of vehicle you should purchase, okay? I've literally been in a church where, like, people did not buy a car without asking the pastor, okay? If you call me asking me what kind of car, I'm going to hang up on you, all right? (laughs) I am not trying to be your mom. But when it comes to ministries in church, my job is to oversee. My job is to be involved. My job is to make sure everything is being done in an orderly fashion. You say, well, well, why? Well, look at the context. Look at verse 29. He says, the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, of your own selves. People in this, in this room right here, there can potentially be men who shall arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. I mean, do you understand that I'm not necessarily, you know, I mean, if I could tell you how many times people have tried to, we're going to start a, a little Bible study. Pastor, I'm just going to start this little Bible study. I'm going to invite a few people and we're just going to meet on Mondays. Look, not at Verity Baptist Church. I can't believe you'd be so controlling. Look, it's my job to make sure that false preachers don't walk in and try to... You don't think we've had people come to church and send emails out? You know, I preach a sermon on eternal security. Emails go out on Monday. The pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. We've literally had that happen. You don't think we've had people show up and say, well, I just don't know that the pastor really knows. And I don't think that, you know, and the, I don't, I'm not even sure what Bible college did he go to. And I just think that maybe I should be... You don't think that's happened? Say, Pastor, I can't believe does that, that happens at church. Listen to me. When a church is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you better believe that Satan's going to attack. Say, I grew up in church and there was never no problems because your church wasn't doing anything. But when you take a stand, but when you actually fight a fight, when you actually reach people and get people saved, Satan will attack. And it's the job of the pastor to oversee. And, and people think, you know, I was just talking to Brother Jose. And Brother Jose, before he started coming to our church, he went to another Baptist church in the Bay Area where he was living. And he was one of the men there. You know, obviously he's an usher here. He was an usher there, and he was serving. And Brother Jose says there was this guy that started coming to church, and he's just kind of going around and just like really kind of like lifting himself up and promoting himself. And at the same time, he was just kind of criticizing the pastor. Like, I don't really know about that. Yeah, I heard him say that, but what do you think about that? And then there was this time when the pastor went on, went on. I'm telling you the story because this is a real story. You can ask Jose about it. When pastor went out of town, he called men from the church and said, hey, I wanted to buy you some coffee at Starbucks. Gathered 12 men from the church. And basically said, hey, you know what? I think the church needs a new vision. I think the pastor, you know, he's a nice guy, but he doesn't really know what he's doing. And he kind of got these guys all together to, um, to, to basically just kick the pastor out, to throw him out. And, of course, Brother Jose wasn't invited to this meeting, you know. Guys that were loyal weren't invited. But Brother Jose gets a call on a Saturday morning from this other man. He says, hey, Brother Jose, can I talk to you? He's like, sure, sure. When do you want to talk? He's like, I'm outside of your house right now. He's like, okay. <laughs> you know, and he tells him, hey, this guy told me to go to Starbucks, and he's doing this. I just need to let somebody know. And, you know, they, they, got, they called the pastor and let him know. They got all together. They met the guy at the door, you know, <laughs> the next service, and said, oh, we don't need your services, you know. Listen, you don't think that kind of stuff happens? It happens. It's real. 
And we've got to guard against it. People are going to come in here with their false doctrine, their salvations by works, their salvation is based on you repenting of your sins, their, you can lose your salvation, you speaking in tongues. They're going to come in with their NIV Bible and their false Bibles, and they're going to try. And here's the thing. You say, well, are we against those people? We're not against those people. We love those people as long as they don't bring division into the church. But the moment someone starts criticizing, here's what you understand. The false prophet's not going to walk up to you and say, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. We ought to split this church. They're not going to do that. You know what they're going to do? They're going to criticize the church. They're going to criticize the pastor. They're going to undermine the pastor. They're going to undermine our position. They're going to criticize the pastor's wife. And they're just going to try to get a reaction from you and see how you respond. And when you're like, hey, listen, don't talk about my pastor's wife like that. They're not going to involve you. They're not going to invite you to Starbucks. But the one that says, oh, yeah, I can't believe that. They say, oh, okay, here's somebody that I can use. That's how it works. Hey, Pastor Menace, can you guard against it? Look, I can't guard against it. I might show up next week and you guys throw me out. And that's fine, you know. I've said this before. You, you guys throw me out of church, I'm just going to start a church right next door. <laughs> I'm just going to start a church right next door and I'm going to preach on Korah every Sunday. You know what I mean? We ought to oversee the ministry. There are false prophets so you ought to use, if we get back to our sermon, use your gifts within the church, the talents that God has given you within the church. But look, let me take it a step further. You ought to use the talents that God has given you even outside of the church. Not everything you do has to be within church. You can minister to people outside the church. Do you know that? And, you, and guess what? Here's the great thing about that. You don't need my permission for that. <laughs> do whatever you want outside of these walls. That's fine with me. But you ought to. I'm giving you a lot of stories this morning. Let me tell you a story about Brother Salvador. You know Brother Salvador? Everybody know Brother Salvador? Brother Salvador, raise your hand. Everybody know Brother Salvador? You know Brother Salvador, when he was four years old, he began to have seizures. And when he was 12 years old, he started having symptoms like loss of energy and dehydration, massive headaches and loss of balance. His mom took him to the hospital. and The doctors thought that he just had a sinus infection or like a nasal infection. But because the symptoms, you know, continued for a long time, uh, they, they finally gave him a CAT scan, and they found a cancerous brain tumor when he was 12 years old. And um, because the tumor was in his uh, pituitary gland, um, it messed with a lot of his hormones uh, levels. It uh, produced a, a low thyroid. He gave me his testimony once, and I said, can you write that down for me? I, I, that's, a, that's a great te- testimony. I mean, not a great testimony, but a great testament to his faithfulness. He had a, a shunt, which is a tube that goes inside of your head to, fil- to filter the gunk out of your brain. And they had, to, uh, they had to staple his head shut while he was awake. They ended up having a biopsy, which removed a piece out of his skull to take out the tumor. When he was 17 years old, he got a disease known as advanced stage mononucleosis. His mom took him to the hospital. He lost consciousness in the parking lot. When he woke up, the doctor said, you're fortunate. If you could have got here 30 minutes later, you'd be dead. You know what I like about Brother Salvador? He always has a smile on his face. Always positive. Never negative. Loves God. He's just faithful to the things of God. But here's what, I, here's what I really like about Brother Salvador. He was the first one in his family to go to college. He, he's getting a business degree. And I don't think everybody needs to go to college, but he's getting a business degree. You know what he wants to do? Because this whole event in his life took a huge toll on his family financially. And he wants to start a nonprofit organization to help other low-income families with children who have health problems that don't have insurance. So he, so he can help people with what he went through. Now, here's what you understand. You have 
burdens, you have stories, you have things that you've gone through, and you can allow those to cause you to be bitter, or you can use that burden to help others. And you can say, hey, I, I like, what I like about Brother Salvador, he says, this is what I went through, this is something difficult, and I'm going to try to use that, and I'm going to get the resources that I need, the education that I need, the help that I need, so that I can help others in that same position. You say, Pastor Jimenez, what's the point of the sermon? The point of the sermon is this. How can you get involved near where you are? What are you close to? What are you, what are you near Some of you, unfortunately, have a background where you struggled with addictions and the Lord has given you victory over that. Guess what? You may be able to minister to people in that same lifestyle in a way that I'm not able to. Some of you ladies, you know, because uh, because you just didn't know better, you didn't grow up in a Christian home and you might have had a child out of wedlock and you know what it is to be a single mom and to struggle through those difficulties and you understand that that's not God's perfect will but it's just the place you are in life. And God may be able to use you to help some other single mom or some other young lady who finds herself in that situation and be a blessing to her and help her. I'm just telling you this, we ought to serve and we ought to minister wherever you are in life right now. Just start. Just start. Because when the man began to build the wall, he said, where do we start, Nehemiah? And he said, just start closest to where you are. That's a good place to start. And when Pastor Manus gets up and he preaches sermon and he asks this question, what breaks your heart? And you say, I don't know what breaks my heart. And he asks this question, how can I leverage who I am to help others? He said, I'm not really sure how I can leverage who I am. To help others. And he asks this question, can you see what can be? And you say, well, I just don't really know where I'm even at. And I don't see where, where, what, what could be. Just start where you are. Because the question for this week is, these, is this. What can you do near you? What can you do near you? Because spiritual growth begins at home privately. And soul winning outreach begins at home personally. And a serving ministry begins at home, productively. So what can you do near you? Who can you reach? Who can you help? Who can you minister to? Well, Pastor, I, don't, I just don't, you don't have to have a lot. You don't have to have education. You, don't, you just need to start where you're at. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.